This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Field Notes brand. USA made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend James D'Amato, and he talks to me about his love of indie RPGs and their design. So we cover a lot of his favorite independently produced tabletop role-playing games and some things that he's made for himself in the process of producing his podcast, One Shot, and the network therein. Uh... James kind of embodies this marriage between the love of indie games in general and the uh, spreading of that love to other people. So it really uh, brought me a lot of joy to get to uh, break down what he enjoys so much about these games and their designs and uh, what those designs can do for the players and for other game makers and other creatives. And James does a wonderful job of kind of like coloring uh, how much the internet has influenced how much more accessible it is to produce indie games and uh, how over the years he's realized how easy it is to, uh, you know, get some rules down and uh, create something with people that you enjoy playing with. I'm excited for everyone to listen along. I encourage you strongly to check out the One Shot Podcast if you are not a fan already. Uh, OneShotPodcast.com, they have a number of shows that have been uh, populated on that bad boy over the years. James's longtime friend and co-creator of the One Shot Podcast and network therein, Cat Cool, hosts the campaign podcast, and uh, that is also a good place to start. One Shot and Campaign are both fellow members of the Chicago Podcast Co-op, and I'm very, very happy to share that with both of these really hardworking, talented people. And uh, we spent a lot of time talking about, or at least I kept kind of bringing it back to how much improv can tie into indie RPGs. And I think for that reason, this is a really interesting conversation for uh, people interested in improvisation and who maybe don't know as much about how much of that can be involved in tabletop gaming. Because uh, that's something that I didn't know until uh, the last few years of, uh, you know, meeting enough nerds who play tabletop games to have gotten introduced to a couple. And uh, a game like Fiasco is so much fun when you have some people who are willing to kind of play around uh, with the improvised aspects of the game that you're playing. So if you're new to games like this, but you do like improvising, I uh, definitely think that you should toe dip in because they're a blast. And I uh, I think it's a really um, wonderful and accessible way to join in on some of this uh, gaming fun. If you'd like to see an improv show 
in person, you can come to the Annoyance Theater any Thursday night at 9.30 and see myself and my team, Sight Unseen, host a show called The Fishbowl. We bring in a number of veteran teachers and performers at the Annoyance Theater and uh, pair them with some Annoyance improv students who get to play with more seasoned professionals, you know, kind of like James is a great game master. These vets will come in and be the game masters of the improv scenes and kind of help ev- uh, guide everyone through the process in a way that they may not get an opportunity to when they're just improvising with other new people. And then Silent Scene closes it out, and it's always a good time. One last plug. Uh, my very good friend Eric Garneau, host of another show in the podcast co-op called Your Stories, also under the Nerdlogs umbrella with MBSing, is setting out on a two-week tour of the show. So he's going to do a kickoff here in Chicago on Sunday night of this week, which is the 7th, and that'll be at 7 p.m., at some office, 1917 North Elston, and uh, I believe it's free. He may be soliciting some donations to help him along his way, but mostly it's a, a little send-off, little Your Stories uh, get-together. I'll be telling a story, and uh, we'll be wishing Eric luck on his endeavors. If you want to follow that, you can find the Nerdlogs Patreon page for more details. James's One Shot Next Network also has a buzzing Patreon page, so definitely check that out if you're interested in learning more about uh, the games that James and Kat have made and uh, the shows that they put out. That is a great place to uh, check out all of the uh, hard work that they've done. So, without any further ado, because there's been plenty Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy MBSing with James D'Amato. Something always happens with remote guests. I think so, too. Like, it's been my experience as well. Even though I've had a lot of fun doing them, I always had, there's this, like, very special level of anxiety. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Like, the last guy I did one with, uh, who records things remotely a lot, um, we did the whole thing, like it went great. Uh, I had like my track of the audio running in GarageBand and then I just did like Skype call recorder. Uh, but I fully assumed that he, uh, was going to record on his side and like send me his track and that would just kind of be a backup. And like we finished up and he was like, uh, you're recording this, right? And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Let me check. And he was like, I just realized I did not record any of myself. Wow. And I, it, like my heart, like, but I mean, his, it, you could tell like he dropped too. Yeah. He was just like, oh my, like. Uh, same, like basically same thing happened to me. I was recording a gigantic episode. Uh-huh. It's like we have a very popular series that we do uh, with like uh, some famous comic books writers cool um and we were recording like the third installment and it's uh-huh. gonna be a big like push for our patreon to get more people into it great um and i was recording on my end and we were using zencaster mm-hmm. um, and like i've had problems with zencaster before so i'm wary about it uh i did the first part everything went great as, as soon as i wrapped up the second part i realized i had not recorded <gasps> on my end at all through audacity oh no thank goodness Zencaster like, went Zencaster okay. worked, but like I was playing with fire yeah. on that day. And yeah. I, 
boy, my I, I <laughs> like had a heart attack. I was like, oh no. Yeah, because uh, it's just like not the people that you want to have to try to like track down again. And well, yeah, I mean, like they're they're friends, like sure. they're good friends, but man, is it hard to get everybody in the same room at the same time? I can imagine. Ugh. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, benefit from the one-on-one nature of MBSing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to only have my schedule and one other person. So I, I don't envy the podcaster who has to navigate a lot of schedules. Uh, <laughs> but my guest today is one such gentleman. <laughs> uh, James D'Amato is with me today. Hey, Mary Beth. It's great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. It's definitely a long time coming. You should know that I've had a list of like potential guests for a really long time uh since about like the first year of doing it and your name was like second or third on the list for literally years because it was just like at the time (laughs) that i was making it and you know as people got struck off uh it just remained right there and and here we are now finally (laughs) i'm so glad to finally be doing this and like i want to point out uh the the nerdalogs like i keep meaning to have you guys come on one shot and play a game with me and all together yeah it's literally the same thing yeah it's like uh well i got I got to do this game now and it's good for these people. Right. This is an emergency and I don't want to bother people last minute. Yes. It's like, Absolutely. <laughs> so, and that's why I don't feel like apologetic, especially because you totally get it, and you know we're always here and we're always willing. So uh, we're the same kind of monster. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, the monster's rearing its head today, uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about um, some indie RPGs and kind of design therein. And I'm really excited to dig into it with you. What do you think was the origin of your love for indie tabletop RPGs? It actually, I mean, I'm going to say college uh, played into it pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. I went to school at a small liberal arts college called Allegheny College in Pennsylvania. And one of the best things they had on campus was a gaming club, a tabletop gaming club. And I got into that club because uh, there was a girl at the time that I was very much attracted to. And uh, I like she was playing the new like newbie D and D game, like the D and D game they had set up to introduce people to games. Cool. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get in that game and I'll be able to like hang out with her and talk to her. Had you already? Were you already into D and D at that point? I was not. I okay, had never wow. played in my life. Whoa, so again, cool. I, I am a fake geek guy. <laughs> I got into the hobby <laughs> to meet women, um, but like I I played D and D and I felt head over heels in love with it. And uh, that college just had a really eclectic group of people who had come from all sorts of gaming backgrounds. And after being in that club two years, the second year that I was there, um, somebody managed to drag me into a Shadowrun game. Cool. And from there on, I was like, oh, D&D isn't the only thing that does this. And there are other games that do this thing. Right. Um, And so I I played a bunch of different games in college. And uh, the thing that really sent me over the edge into the real indie space Mm -hmm. uh, was actually doing one shot. Um, Wonderful. Because Pat Pat O'Rourke, uh, the producer that I work with on One Shot, came to me and was like, hey, I want you to develop a show uh, for our network that's similar to uh, Nerd Poker on Earwolf. Mm-hmm. And that's I, so great that Pat like brought that to you. Yeah, exactly. Man, it's like, I never realized that. I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, One Shot is 
uh, my baby, but it's something that like Pat was like, hey, I want you to make something like this. Yeah. So I sort of looked at the landscape and I found that there were a ton of role playing podcasts, but not many of them stepped outside of like D and D and Pathfinder, which is based on D and D. Sure. Uh, so I was like, well, I played all these wonderful games at school. I want to sort of show them off. And I thought like I was hot stuff at that point because right. I had played like 11 games or something. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's silly to hear myself say it now, but like I did not realize the scale, like the absolute number of diverse games and not just games that are big games that everybody knows, like really small design projects. Uh, because being a game designer is really just like putting rules on paper. Right. If you write a rule down on a page, uh, that's a game. Like, congratulations, <laughs> you're a game designer. Right. Um, and, like, you actually don't even really need to write them down. It's like, as long as you have some rules that you can kind of explain, uh-huh. you're a game designer. And thanks to the internet, uh, mm-hmm. publishing things like that and sharing uh, projects like that is free and it's easy. Uh, And the design culture around games, especially role-playing games, because so much of what we do at the table when we play a role-playing game is ethereal. It's it's made up space and agreement between people at the table. Uh, It doesn't take much to make a game like that. Most people picture a 300-page rule book when they picture a role-playing game, but it can be a sentence. There's a contest that happens every year uh, called the 200-word role-playing game contest. And it's 200 words. That's really cool. Some of them are intense. Um, So thanks to OneShot, like I at least once every month, I have to get a new game in front of people. And sometimes that's a game that I know. uh, But a lot of the times it's a game that, you know, I've never played before and I have to learn the rules for it and figure out how to put it up for people. Um, So because I have this show driving me forward, uh, I get to learn about so many interesting and diverse games. And like now it's one of my favorite things to talk about because it's something that not too many people understand like the depth of. That's awesome. I I actually, I knew that... uh, um, it was something that you had at least like dived into more deeply in college because mm-hmm. you've told a great story at your stories <laughs> about your entree into gaming. And, uh, and so I, I did, uh, know that and, and didn't realize, I don't think that that really was like your first exposure yeah. to, I mean, I, I mi- somehow missed this my whole life. And I definitely think it's something that I would have been into mm-hmm. as, as a younger kid. I, I'm just, thankful that I got to discover it at all because it's a huge part of who I am these days. Man, I feel you. Uh, I feel like it's hard to uh, like talk about or justify things like private universities and liberal arts colleges mm-hmm. at the state that we've gotten to uh, with yeah. like higher education, but have a really similar experience in the sense that like it really gave me the opportunity to dig into things that I am incredibly passionate about now yeah yeah i mean like and you know it might have happened somewhere else with another thing like i i I don't 
I don't know, and I can't make those pro- projections. So, like, right. I, I'm not going to pin it on the college experience, especially if there is a listener out there who uh, is thinking of taking on a bunch of loans <laughs> and is not sure about college. I I think right. you know you you will discover your passions, but like, I am struck by the thought a lot that oh my god, I could have died and never ever tried it like if the circumstances weren't right to like provide that motivation no go try this thing don't be worried about how nerdy it's going to make you you're already a huge nerd dude (laughs) (laughs) just play the game (laughs) and if anything it will like help people be able to like access your nerdery exactly (laughs) totally differently (laughs) what were some of the first uh like indie games that you played and really got excited by I think uh, the – so I, I don't know – there are two games, I think, that are really important to me along this journey. Uh, the first is a game that's sort of put out by a ma- major publisher. Atlas Games uh, published in the 90s a game called Feng Shui, uh, which is an action movie role-playing game. Oh, I've heard of this. It's a really cool game. It's, like, very well designed, and at the time that it came out, uh, the mechanics that it put forward were kind of revolutionary. Cool. Um, it really cut down on how specific the rules had to be about things. And it was like, you know, it, the like feng shui works uh, by rolling 2d6. One is positive and one is negative. And when you roll a six, it explodes and you roll it again. Um, and you start off as like a super competent person like uh, – They'd say a 15, which is like basically the standard stat in the game is like everybody has a 15 or 14 or 13 and something Um, at that level, like just with nothing added to it, you're supposed to be able to outrun an attack dog (laughs) and like and like, uh, you know, uh, fight a, a competent bodyguard or something like that. And at something like 26, you're supposed to be able to run along a trail of bullets uh, to punch somebody in the face. That's and, like, hilarious. That's where the game starts. Um, so I had been playing D&D, which is like kind of, especially 3.5 was like a tactical experience. Like, okay, you're, you've got a gridded map and you got to right. figure out how you're positioning your miniature and combat happened very slowly. And the DM is very important. And- yeah, well, I mean, the DM's kind of like important in feng shui t- as well, but it, it's sort of like the rules are something that we're very strictly observing and we are experiencing the game through the rules. Uh, whereas in feng shui, it is the rules are sort of pushing you along to do the things that you want to do. Like if you want to see your character, you know, like uh, drive a motorcycle into a ninja, it's not oh, man, no, that you can't do that because there's no rule for for going up, like like doing a wheelie on your motorcycle <laughs> while shooting two machine guns at the same time so we can't we can't do it. Right. It's like, no, just roll it and see if it and works. And see how much of this is going to be positively affected or negatively affected. Yeah, and I, I think that, like really woke up in me it's like oh there's there's more than one way to do this thing um and it's a game that is still very important to me and like i play feng shui like a lot um and it's you know one of the games that we've had on the show that has been our, a more popular series it really cool. helped kick us off in the beginning uh but the other one is this little game called everyone is john now, Everyone is John is a game that is really just a couple sentences. And it was first put out 
on this website that you can no longer visit because it shut down just a few years ago because Aww. it was a university website called Sandor at the Zoo. Um, and it was just this game design project that these guys in uh, the 90s and I think early 2000s were maintaining um, where they would just like put up these game ideas that were really rough premises, um, but they were unique and interesting. And everyone is John. All of the players play the same person. Uh, this person is a television movie style, uh, like crazy person with voices in their head. And each player is a different voice in John's head. Oh, that's so cool. And they compete with each other for control of John. And every voice has its own goals that they're trying to get John to accomplish. But he's extremely incompetent. Uh, and like you're very, it's very rare that you will succeed at anything. Um, so you're like doing a, basically a manners comedy with this person who's just doing the wildest stuff, uh, <laughs> imaginable. Um, and the GM is like sort of portraying like a sane world and you are the fish out of water and it is so much fun, but it is so simple. Um, and it's the sort of game where if you play it, you'll realize, oh, I could write a role-playing game. Um, and I think that's what indie games uh, really call out to in, in me, is just like the, the creativity, it invites you into that process because it's so simple. Because, you know, the people who made these games, even though they are brilliant, genius people, uh, for some of the games that I'm going to talk about today, I really respect these people, but it's like, you know... All they had was writing it, you mm -hmm. know, when they when they were making it. Mm -hmm. um, and now uh, these days with things like Kickstarter or, or Patreon where, you know, you can get the resources to bring an idea to life. Uh, the indie game space is so open and inviting uh, and it's waiting for creative people to to come and join in on the fun. And that's that's what I love about it. That's awesome. That game sounds so fun. <laughs> it is. It is like a great beer and pretzels game. Uh, you know, quick shout out. Uh, I know that it portrays like a negative uh, mental health culture. Sure. Uh, and it is not real. Uh, it is very, very fictional. Uh, so if you go in with that in mind and be like, okay, I'm going to let go of that. It is a very fun experience. That's, that's probably a good, fair disclaimer. Uh, but man, that sounds like a blast. Like, and such a good entry into what the possibilities of this uh, format are. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. If, if you need to make it better for yourself, I've been running it recently where he's possessed by different demons. Oh, great! Um, yeah, and that's that's sort of like moves it forward but like i can make that major change to the game because it's that simple right yeah um, and that's that's the beauty of it yeah it's just a different you know same idea uh slightly different like context i guess um and yeah you avoid a little bit of like we don't necessarily want to like make fun of this as an issue because yeah, it's a real thing exactly. that people have to deal with but it's just a game um but i understand uh, that's really great. So were these ones that you got excited to kind of bring into uh, when you were starting One Shot? So when I was starting One Shot, I was very excited to show off Feng Shui because, like, again, it is the game that, like, really woke me up in college. It was like, oh, my God, games are amazing. Mm -hmm. They're so cool. Um, so it was that was the second series that we featured was, was Feng Shui. And everyone is John. 
I was actually like running up against a deadline and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to record the game that I want. So I'm going to do this instead. Cool. And like one of the players couldn't show up and I thought it was going to be a mess because I had never played the game before. And we played it and I was like, this is, um, this is so cool. Yeah. I thought it was so simple. I really wrote it off, but it's brilliant. That's great. I, I mean, it seems like in that setting, I mean, we're just talking about at the very top how difficult it can be to kind of juggle schedules and uh, coordinating and things like that. So, yeah, I feel like a game like that would be a gift to you. <laughs> and I'm sure you've landed on a couple of others since then that are good, like oh, you yeah. described Beer and Pretzels games. Exactly. Uh, actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf, the <laughs> horror role-playing game, is dope. <laughs> Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based based on that uh, like music video thing. Oh uh, yeah, that came out. It, it's somebody just made a role playing game based off that, where you're being hunted by cannibal Shia LaBeouf, and like you have to try and escape. <laughs> That's so funny. It's another great uh, example of like you could do this with literally any Anything, concept. Any concept, like you can. You can put a game to it, and like a game can be as simple as, you know, if you roll uh, one through three on a die on a six-sided die, you fail, and uh, four through six is a success. Um, like that's all you need to right. make a game, uh, and everything that you do beyond that is deciding like how more or less complicated uh, you want to make it. What was kind of the process from? playing the games that were already established and that you would find or hear about in one way or another mm -hmm. into uh, actually trying to make your own? Um, I would say I think it really only took a couple weeks for us to catch the bug. Like Kat and I sort of, we, we had played some of these games and my, my uh, design and podcasting partner Kat mm -hmm. um, had... Who was these. also the aforementioned person who got you into yes, this in the to, first if we, place? If we, if we As it should be pull back out. the curtain, I, I had like a long interview about that. Actually, that came out on my network on a show called Talking Tabletop. If you want to dig more into the details there, the, the history. Um, but but Cat and I had like looked at these games and we were like, oh man, you know we probably do have something that we want to contribute to this space. Um, we're both big fans of the movie Groundhog Day. Um, and we're like, I want to make a role-playing game experience based on that and based on movies That's that a sort really of good idea. work that way. Um, and so we drafted up something that uh, we is right now on design hiatus because we're working on bigger projects project and projects that are moving along more smoothly. Uh, I think we've been very precious about that one because sure. it's like our first design. Yeah. Um, but like... You know, we got bit by the bug very quickly, and and we this was a couple weeks into producing producing one shot. One shot. Okay, yeah, that's what it, I thought. And you were it's saying. like because uh, we had planned to release like on our first anniversary of one shot, uh, we announced that we were going to put out a print and play version of it that uh, didn't materialize because like we took it to a games editor and they're like, there, you should fix these things before putting it out. And then we were like, ah, but do we like the core mechanic? And like now it snowballed up and it's right. like we'll get back to it and later. It's like you said like ev sometimes the things that you really like care about the most are the ones that end up like y y like 10,000 revisions before you feel like okay now I can share this with people. Right. Um, but you know it was very short into the process it's like oh man we can start 
doing this. Uh, we can really try to do something and, and put a unique perspective out of, out there. Um, and like, I, I will say even, even when I did that project, I thought I was coming up with innovations in game design that had been done before. Sure. Um, because again, I really did not appreciate, uh, how, open this world is um like and how many people have been contributing to it um I, I i like that's it's cool that you can get into this and like make something new and cool uh to you um without really having to appreciate the depth it's not like computer coding where like you have to know so much foundational material just to start Right. Uh, somebody who's never played a tabletop game before can make an RPG tomorrow if like somebody like describes the rough concept to right. them and they think yeah. they want to do it. I mean, it's even as simple as like you said, going, you know what's a good movie? Groundhog Day. <laughs> how do we how do we make that happen? Yeah. It's like I I, I was watching uh Stranger Things um and uh talking with Kat and we were like, uh you know what? is definitely true if you're trying to make a role-playing game to play out something like stranger things mm -hmm. sheriff hopper has a character ability that is in any scene he is he's in once in any scene he can just punch somebody out <laughs> that's just like an ability that he has he doesn't have to roll for that he just gets to do that that's in any great scene. i i feel like that's probably uh really want to happen as a designer as someone who thinks about character and ability and things like that so often i'm sure you find yourself watching something and going like oh if this were a character in a game yeah this is the thing it would be able to exactly. do exactly it's like how how do i you know i really love this thing how do i reproduce this experience because uh, it, there's so much closely linked in role-playing games and improv uh I Yes. Role-playing games are just sophisticated improv forms uh, that have a really directed experience that they're provoking. Uh, just like the Herald is trying to uh, explore an idea from multiple facets. Mm. Um, uh, improv form, like Dungeons & Dragons, is trying to get you to tell a fantasy story where people fight monsters uh, and survive perils to get wealth. Um, so it's role playing games just have a really, really laser focused, like, this is the experience that I want you to recreate. This is the experience that I want you to have. Um, and so when I watch something, I go, okay, what could I use, uh, in gaming terms to provoke somebody to make this decision that I'm seeing this character make? That's really interesting. Uh, that it that it can be broken down to into that specific a question mm -hmm. that the game designer then has to answer. Yeah, it's kind of uh, what what rule invokes the, or what ruler ability invokes this choice in the player. Exactly, exactly. Because I, I think really good games want to push forward your creativity. Like um, there are like. I think Dungeons and Dragons started in a well. I know Dungeons and Dragons started in a much different place uh, than what it is today. Like when uh, that game was first drafted up, uh, the rules for chainmail were for a tabletop miniature combat game, uh, where the designer or the designer for chainmail, Gary Gygax, went, "Okay, uh, how do I take this large tabletop army simulator and break it down so that?" a single character 
can be an interesting fight for another single character. Um, and Dave Arneson was playing like this crazy fantasy game where people were playing pretend, but there weren't like big rules around it. So Arneson started using chain mail and then he's like, this is actually kind of really cool. He took that to <laughs> Gygax. Racy's peanut butter cup situation. <laughs> it was. It was a peanut butter cup situation. But if you read like the original Dungeons and Dragons uh, manuals that like teach you how to play the game, they don't really mention pretending to be a character. Interesting. Um, it's still very much a war game uh, that has this element that like they didn't even have the words to describe. Huh. And it wasn't until AD&D when they like revisited it that like uh, they put m- more formally more firmly forth what the idea of a role-playing game is. And for a long time, role-playing games were just designed based off that original model, which is why so many of them are about combat. And so many of them have like very specific rules. And are like, no, if you're holding two things in your hand, you have to subtract this much from your dice. Um, And and now we, I I really think, uh, man, I don't know when it happened. It was probably a mid eighties design trend that really took off in the nineties and early two thousands. But, like, we figured out that the thing that you're doing is playing pretend and telling stories at the table and that you can actually design rules that make that easier. Yes. Instead of doing that around rules that are in place. Right. Yes. I The first time that I ever played a tabletop RPG, I was actually, like blown away at how much of it was improv. And I think that people from both sides of that equation, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. from your perspective and most (laughs) of the people that you work with understand that these things are like pretty overlapping Venn diagrams. Yeah. But I'm really interested to know or to think about the, uh, the general public or even the people who consider themselves players of one or the other, you know, mm-hmm. people who consider themselves improvisers or people who consider themselves uh, players of RPG, understanding how much overlap there really is between the two. Well, I think it's a very stylistic question um, because, like, there's no one way to play these games. There's right. so much that's going into a tabletop RPG. It's, it's hard for me to say that, yeah, it's improv. I think right. it's more accurate to say, yeah, it can be improv. Sure. Um, the things that really inspire me and that I love are improv. But, mm-hmm. like, there's a tactical combat game in there. There is, like, a puzzle-solving game in there. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of games and, like, people uh, who go, yeah, RPGs are about numbers and, like, figuring figuring out uh, how, how these numbers work together. And it, there's, like, an entire community of players uh, for – Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 who just want to build about the rules and- an optimized character. And they will spend like tens of hours pouring through source books, finding the right combinations of abilities. These might be characters that they never play, but they are playing the game right. when they make those characters. Sure. And that's a way to play. Yeah, that has nothing to do with You can do it with alone. And it's not a social parts. experience and there's no improv. Right. 
Right, right. That's really interesting. Uh, and I think, I guess from my perspective, um, I was playing with a bunch of other improvisers and mm -hmm. some of whom were also um, much more experienced uh, role-playing gamers than I was. Uh, who very naturally were able to kind of like find the marriage between the two, and and as be, and that was like really encouraging for me, yeah. As an as a new player to be like, oh, oh, so we're all just kind of like <laughs> making a lot of this up, huh? Wow. Okay, I'm in. You know, I th that's one of the things that like I wish was a bigger part of the public perception of mm -hmm. these games. Like I love seeing D and D on TV. Um, like that's pretty much the only game that gets talked about. Right. Uh, but like the thing, the most popular portrayal of it is like, oh, this is a super math forward game and it's really complicated. And, and the game master is always a jerk. Um, right. Yes. And it's like, okay. Like it is sort of a funny in joke that I'm sure everybody's had like bad game masters and like, yeah, some games have 300 page rule books and it's really right. intimidating, but like, that's not the game. That's right. A, and that's and people would probably really enjoy it and shouldn't be intimidated away because there is that aspect of it. Like you can get into that if you want to. I totally agree with you from a, a much more like casual perspective on all of it. And I think that uh it's uh interesting that you already talked about uh feng shui because I feel like fiasco is mm -hmm. kind of like adopting a lot of that same steam yes. in terms of it being like a rule loose but character heavy mm -hmm. game that's like playing off of this thing that most people are probably familiar with on at least some level. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean fiasco is something that it, it's like that's just a great improv form. Right. It yes. Is. Fiasco is nothing but an improvised uh Coen Brothers movie. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> Unlike you don't even need the gamic elements of it. Like no. those dice are there to make you feel comfortable like you're not just doing a really complex improv set yes. in front of everybody. Very very true. Yeah. I mean, the only time I at the only times I've ever played, I don't even think we like technically finished the game, quote unquote. <laughs> but we created some hilarious characters who yeah. were able to have some like really fun interactions. And I have friends who uh, it's like pulling teeth to try to get them to just sit down and learn the rules of games. Yeah. Like even if the rules are really easy, uh, like I they're good enough friends of mine and I know they like games that usually I'll just like if I'm trying to introduce a game to them, I'll be like, "Okay, let's just like play around a little and you'll figure it out." Yeah. And they're like the kind of people who are much more readily willing to do that than to sit and listen to you like explain something for a long time. Exactly. So Fiasco was like a dream mm -hmm. because they're great improvisers and very funny people. So it's like, um, there's basically no rules. Just like make up a character and I'll help you, you know, with the rest. And they had an amazing time when, and, and at the same time are people who like never thought they would enjoy a role playing game. Because like you said, their perception of it was like a, a cranky GM and a lot of pedantic rules yeah. and which, you know, it can it can happen. Can like, happen. <laughs> it's not not role playing games. Right. It's just they don't have to be that way. And I I think Fiasco is such a good game to explain that. And uh, Jason Morningstar, the person who designed Fiasco, is mm -hmm. actually really deep into improv. Um, that makes and, perfect sense. Like it, you can clearly see it uh, in Fiasco. But uh, 
you know, he he designed that game really based off of improv forms that he was doing. Um, he's since backed off from doing so much improv um, because he's doing pretty well in the field of game design. It seems like I would say that's probably the case. Um, but uh, Fiasco is such a good game, and it's such a good game to introduce. I think theater people like people who are storytellers people who are actors primarily like mm -hmm. they can take to a game like that very quickly mm -hmm. um and i think that's so cool i'm sure you've played some fiasco on one shot over yes. the years yes um we we played a couple and actually uh leading back to indie game design we played them with uh play sets that i made oh cool um because fiasco is one of those games where if you want to design your own fiasco scenarios, it's really just a matter of plugging uh, things into lists. Right. Um, yeah, because it's just like relationships and locations and, and things like that. Items, yeah, and, and objects is I think the other one. So yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, it's it, it, like those are very simple things, and like you can think them up, and those that you can't think up, you can just borrow from the base game. Right. But like I made uh, the the first fiasco playset that I made was called Colonials, uh, and it was uh, about the. It took place in the Alien universe, uh, and you are basically playing on the station that they go investigate in Aliens 2. Uh. And it's like an explanation of how that situation went to hell. That's and really cool. The players are the people that ruined it for everybody, that, that like released the aliens and screwed right. everything up. That's really funny. I love that. I was just thinking that. I really loved Inside Lewin Davis, and I would play the shit out of a like <laughs> musician based yeah. uh, a, a fiasco. Like, there's probably one like online or in an expansion or something like that. And, but, but like the cool thing, Mary Beth, is you could make that tomorrow. Oh yeah, like for you sure. don't have to be psyched out about it. It's uh -huh. just like, oh yeah, what's the thing that I love about this? Uh, yeah, I want to see this relationship play out. I'd like to see this relationship yeah. play out. And you're writing a couple sentences. Yeah, and before you know it. You get to the end, and you've designed a dang game. That's a whole unique game. You're using the fiasco, like, skeleton, the sure. engine, but everything else is, like, a unique game that you've come up with. Yeah, and yet another thing that um, ties it to improv, I think, because, you know, where fiasco is, the form, you are just plugging in scenes, basically. Yeah, it really. It's it's that easy and yeah. that cool. Yeah, it, I... Uh, I really, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those two worlds continue to kind of like grow and thrive because it seems like both interests have gained a lot of steam uh, uh, over the years and uh, I'm sure the RPG uh, world, like you said, has been kind of booming from uh, the internet's existence. And it changed everything like rpgs have never had a publishing system that has worked for them before and like the big publishers are sort of reeling like oh my goodness it's so easy mm -hmm. uh i was talking to my uh buddy uh mark diaz truman who works for magpie games um and he mentioned to me is like it's crazy to think that like this is all legal like it <laughs> <laughs> like we're, it feels like we shouldn't even be allowed to do this because it used to be so hard. Like uh, there is a term in role-playing game design called the heartbreaker. Um, and uh, fantasy heartbreakers are 
uh, games designed by people who passionately loved Dungeons and Dragons and wanted to make their own game and really believed in their idea. And so they wrote, you know, a really Byzantine 500 page rule book with like a crazy world that's all their unique creation. And they sunk thousands of dollars into producing copies that they tried to hand sell and it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and thankfully today, like there are still heartbreakers out there. Um, but now these days they are more of a time investment than a money investment. It's sure. not, I screwed up and I lost my house because I believed in myself. It is, okay, I did a lot of writing and it didn't quite work out. Um, and I can either decide to continue down this path or like find a new thing. Right. Um, and you know, the publishing industry has just changed it. Like if you can convince somebody that you have a good idea and that they want to see it, you can make it. Man, it's it's interesting. Uh, the I feel like a similar thing has happened with like uh, TV and film. Yeah, because yeah. It used to be this thing. Uh, there's this story about um, Mick uh, Napier and Jen Eslin, who uh, you know own and run the Annoyance. That um, back in the day, they kind of drove themselves into a ton of debt just because they were trying to make a movie and trying to buy enough storage for to put all the footage on drove them into debt. And yeah. like, it's so, and I, they don't even like talking about it because it's so, it's such a like frustrating problem to have had yeah. probably five to 10 years before it was completely enabled as yeah. a problem. And uh, <sighs> yeah, it was just, you know, in the same way that like those guys trying to publish and hand sell, uh, they were just, they had to buy like a terabyte of space and it was mm -hmm. really effing expensive at the time. Man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like you could go to a Best Buy in Chicago and buy a yep. terabyte hard drive for what, like a like hundred bucks? Yeah. <laughs> Tops. Yeah. Right. I was going to say 50, but I was like, I don't know, maybe a hundred. <laughs> I guess I, I guess you got to You got to If you want a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably that's fair too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it it's, so much has changed. Like everything that used to be hard about this is easy now mm -hmm. because like I, if you want it to look good, you probably still need to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. But like that's the difference. You can get Microsoft Word and you can lay out a book in Microsoft Word sure. if like you absolutely must. Yep. Uh, you can. God, what, what, what else? Like there is a website called Drive Through RPG. Uh, where you can upload a PDF copy of your game and they will print it on demand. Uh, so you just need to write the dang thing and you upload it to Drive Through RPG and there it is, finished copy, physical book in your hand. Other people can buy it and they will pay you for it. That's awesome. So like a t-shirt site or something yeah, where just, like when you order it, they print it kind of thing. But with games instead. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, it is so cool. Yeah. It, it's really, really wonderful that we got to kind of like see the progression of all of these like uh, walls of accessibility coming down. Yeah. Like it's been a really exciting thing as a creative type to just like watch things like podcasting mm -hmm. and, you know, publishing and uh, video making become just more and more and more accessible. And these days, the final barriers, which are really uh, some of the hardest ones, are just community. It's oh. community and perception. And, like, if you can, if we can get to a point where we're inviting people in and, like, making them feel welcome and enthusiastic, 
then you know goodness knows where where games are going to be because we're going to have so many new and exciting voices it certainly seems like the biggest barrier is just finding an audience and try you know uh it finding people to even like uh help you make your thing better mm-hmm. you know um so i i definitely feel uh uh, privilege to be surrounded by people who I have like the total respect for yeah. and and uh, and vice versa. Um, so like it's uh, it's just a matter of you know encouraging people to kind of get out and do that for themselves. Um, even though, like you said, way way easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh boy. Um, but yeah, like I I am so thankful for the because we're even seeing a shift in community like uh looking at a game that uh successfully kickstarted uh in 2016 uh bluebeard's bride which is one of the most impressive games like it is something it's not for everyone mm-hmm. um it is incredibly intense it is a horror game based on the fairy tale of bluebeard um which uh for those who don't know uh a young woman marries uh, a man who's named Bluebeard and she's whisked out of poverty to his vast estate. And he says, you can stay here. Um, just don't go in this room. Mm. And like, you know, she lives there and it's great. Classic beating the beast situation. Yeah. She's like, yeah, well, <laughs> man, not, not, not quite. Uh, Cause <laughs> oh, she, <not> yet. <laughs> she, you know, lives there. It's great. And then she's so curious. She opens that door and she sees like the dead mutilated bodies of his previous wives. Oh, Jesus. But not a library. <laughs> not a library. Um, so oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Three designers um, took that fairy tale premise and they're like a lot of different endings that can happen, but they took that fairy tale premise and they're like, uh, let's uh, make a game that talks about uh, feminism and uh, the patriarchy and let's make a role playing experience that somebody can go through and understand the like primal fears that that a woman can deal with in a society uh, run by men. Holy uh, shit! It is a brutal horror game. Like we we put it on one shot, and there's like a very severe trigger warning on that episode. Yeah, it is rough. Holy uh, shit! As a game system, like there is a lot of like sexual violence, and there you know is, is feelings of fear and vulnerability. And, like, at the end of the game, like, there's no winning. Like, you can survive. Right. But, like, you you leave, and who are you going to tell? Nobody's going to believe you. Because, like, there's sort of, like, this magical realist elements to it uh, where you go in these different rooms and you're accosted by the ghosts of these previously dead women. And, like, each one explores a different thematic part of female oppression and it's like such a powerful gaming experience and you know thinking about like how 20 years ago a game like that could not have been received like and not not to the tune of i think they made almost $100,000 with wow. rate with that game on Kickstarter and goodness they deserve that cuz it is brilliantly designed uh, Sarah Richardson is one of the designers who worked on it she lives in Chicago cool um and it is so cool but like, think of how even now, how many people aggressively push back against games like that. 
Um, and it's such an important design perspective. And I can guarantee you there are people who will just read that game. They may, they may never play it, but they will read that game and it will teach them something about design and it will lead to the next great innovation. Um, that's awesome. And like that's when, – when I think about community being the big last barrier, it's like we got to be fostering a welcoming environment because I don't want us to turn away the next genius game designer because they're out there. Right. Right. Man, that's really, really cool. I, I, I didn't really consider the idea of something being able to explore something so like detailed and, and nuanced and, and like you said, like, you know, triggering for some people and I'm sure like angering for others, but it's, uh, it's really amazing that there are people who want to try to tackle something like that. Yeah, th- like that a game, you know, like we think of games as, as fun uh, things, um, some, something that like we're playing with. Uh, but there are a lot of role-playing games out there that, that have really challenging and heady material. And role-playing is like any other art form. It, it's like a novel. It's like a television show. It's like a movie. It's something that can make you feel and think. It is a piece of art. Um, and it can be art just from the rules of the game. The rules of the game can evoke a feeling from you and, and, uh, explain a perspective that you have. And, you know, from that, we also have the actual play of the game and a lot of role-playing games are just storytelling. So you're, you have a piece of art. Um, it's, it's dope. It's like empowering people to create art. That's awesome. Uh, what ways have you found that, you know, these kinds of like more challenging games have influenced you as a designer? Um, so I am like my perspective, I'm, I'm definitely still a comedian at heart. And Mm -hmm. like most of the things that I do, uh, are, are funny things. Cool. Um, But like, I am still, I, I, I try to grapple with more challenging material. Like, uh, the first game that got, published by me was called Millennial Apartment Hunters. <laughs> and I designed it because I was really into Tiny House Hunters on HGTV at the time. <laughs> and like I would watch it just thinking at the these people looking for apartments like you're going to be miserable in that. You thought you could do this, but you can't right. and you need to back out now. Right. You're right. not gonna be happy here. Um, and then like, you know, I, I thought about my own experience looking for apartments in Chicago and how like, man, a lot of the time I was just going from place to place like, well, this place sucks and I'll be miserable about this. But like, it's what I can afford to yeah. make my stupid dreams come true. I have to live in this expensive place. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to be like in an unsafe area. So this is what I have to pay yeah. more than half my money. It's such a catch-22. So I made a game about that experience um, <laughs> and sort so of fun. celebrating the horror of that experience where uh, you will draw randomly from a bowl. You draw like colored beads and uh, they will tell you whether you see a good detail of your apartment, a bad detail, or a nightmarishly horrific detail. <laughs> um, and like for each apartment, you draw five beads, and depending on what beads are present, it determines the price of your apartment. So you could draw all good things, and but then it's, it's going to really be two hundred dollars more than your your like seeking price. And you're like, ah, oh, it's all so good. It's what I want, but I can't afford it. And like 
usually it's a mix of negative things or like an unbelievably negative thing. And it's like, oh, it's such a good price. But right. I'm living inside of an old busted up carnival ride <laughs> that starts up and I can't control when it does. There are a bunch of rusted clown faces staring at me all the time. And so- Yeah, that's a nightmare scenario for sure. That's a nightmare sure. scenario for sure. And so like I- it's, you know, the game is about like describing terrible apartments and like really like how far can we push this? This is the most outlandish scenario. But like most of the people who play that game are like, man, I felt like I've been here before. Um, and so I, I I did that. The, the other I think the biggest game um, after the election this year hmm. um, I did, I, I put out a game that's only like a one page long uh, called Tower of Progress. And it is just, uh, you have a Jenga tower in the middle of the table. Um, and when you pull a brick out of the Jenga tower, you uh, put out an aspirational uh, piece of like legislation or like something about the world that you want to see. And like, you know, gays and lesbians being able to live uh, openly and freely in society. And you place that on top of the tower and the tower slowly gets higher with all of your hopes and dreams. Um, but eventually and irrevocably, uh, there are gaps in that tower and it will get more and more unstable. And that is the hatred and fear of people who don't want to see that world. And the tower is going to fall. Um, and, it, like I, I wrote that game like in a very depressed place, obviously. Um, but you know, I remembered I, I we played Dread on our show all the time because it's a really good role playing game, and it's what I based this game on. Gotcha. Um, Dread is a horror game, very similar, where when the tower falls, you die. Um, so I was like, I remembered that on our show campaign, we did a special episode where we played Dread instead of the usual game that we play for that. And because we were like so intensely focused on keeping that tower up, we broke a like a Django world record, but we can't prove it because we weren't filming it. Um, but so like funny. we did it, we did it. Like we got, we got to the right amount of like levels, levels and I was like, right. okay, it's practical that people can do this. So I said in tower of progress, uh, if people manage to get to that level where I think it's like 32 rows was at the time, which is, it's hard to do, but you can do it. Uh -huh. If you build your tower up, when it falls, you will take the base of that tower uh, and you will nail it into the table and you will say as you hammer it in, we will never go back. Um, that's amazing. And so it's <laughs> really profound. It's like, it's like a boom and bust game and it, it sort of expressed like frustrations that absolutely I had at the time and still, have. and still, uh, a hundo and change days later. <laughs> yeah. So like I, and I wouldn't have designed games like that, you know, if I hadn't been inspired like game by games like, uh, Bluebeard's Bride, um, games that, you know, really, really want to challenge you and want to present you with unique views and opinions. And that's the sort of landscape that like I want from games. And I know not everybody's into that. Sure. D&D like, &D is always going to be there. If right. all you want to do is fight a dragon, you get that's to do that. That's all you ever have to do. Yeah. But all this cool stuff is also happening over here. And if you're into that, you know, we'd love to have you in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to remember. I think it's really easy in uh, like creative processes uh, 
as creators and as consumers uh, that like not everyone has to like the things you do or play the things you do or watch the things you do and like everyone kind of comes to those things for uh, different reasons and if one of the reasons that you come to RPGs is to like totally forget about the fact that the political situation that we're in is uh, troubling at best for a vast majority (laughs) of people uh, then uh, you know maybe it's not for you but it doesn't have to be yeah Um, and like there you might find that it is a perfectly therapeutic way to explore those subconscious fears and anxieties that you have by playing it out in a game uh like play and role play therapy is like a thing um and it you you don't have to shy away from it like you can sort of embrace that and and learn things about yourself through games yeah, it seems like both of these uh, great examples that you gave are such responses to things that you were going through in your life at the time. And I think that is such an interesting you know, thing to cover. I keep bringing it back to analogies to like TV and film, but you know, like you said, novelizations and things like that too. That's like what most yeah. creative endeavors are. That's, that's art. <laughs> right, right. Like it's not everything, but it's more often than not a response by the artist to uh, you know what's happening around them. Yeah. So it's a very cool that you're able to speak to that so clearly that this is just another you know uh, creative uh, endeavor that um, you can kind of channel your uh worldview through <laughs> exactly exactly it, like if, if these things if these games are a thing that you can play you you can probably make them too and here's the even cooler thing like just running a game or playing a character or being a game master like you are you have a creative perspective in that like it's art just playing these games sure and designing these games can be art too it's such a cool space it's why i love them so much is it invites everybody to to be that creative storyteller that's that's inside there somewhere. What uh, goals or um, endeavors are you working on kind of next? Like you don't have to discuss specific projects if you don't want to, but like what's a thing that you haven't done yet that you really want to dig into? I mean, there, there are a lot of things uh, that Kat and I are working on. We, we want to do a game... Uh, that sort of uh, starts at a, a child's perspective and like, you know, how do we get, how do we, most games that are in the American canon are games uh, designed for adults to play with children to teach them about rules and how to follow them. Hmm. Monopoly is not a fun game. No. Uh, but it, teach, it teaches you how to wait for your turn, how to roll a die, how to move spaces. Um, it gives you tools that you need to play good fun games. Mm-hmm. Um and like games like Candyland, uh, like you know, it's a predetermined from the outset because that deck is in order, and like somebody's already going to win, so it's not really a game. Right. You're just sort of not thinking about how you're dying right. while you're playing it. Right. Um, yeah. And like that's that's how it works. It's the most base level mechanic, basically. So we wanted to do that for role playing games. We want to make something that looks like a board game and feels like a board game, but has role-playing game elements in it um, to like sort of teach the process to kids. And like on the other end of the spectrum, uh, recently I have been thinking a lot about uh, Gadkenspiels, uh, which is a game design term for a game uh, meant 
not to be played. Um, <sighs> it And I, I have like a bunch of premises that I'm like, yeah, I'll design this, but like nobody would ever play it. Um, and there was a game that I thought of because uh, I am heavily into uh, – finding interesting and new mechanics because like I see game mechanics all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I look for mechanical inspiration everywhere because some of my favorite games are the ones that have just put out a really novel mechanic and themed it so perfectly. Uh, And the other thing that I'm really into uh, is something that is not super common in the role-playing space, but definitely exists. And that's the romance genre. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I decided like, okay, well, what if I took something like strip poker and truth or dare and I used those mechanics to make a role-playing game? And I sort of like tweeted out like, ah, oh, this is the basic premise for this game. I know I, I kind of want to write it, but like I know nobody would ever play it. Uh-huh. And then on my Twitter, there are so many people like, I would love I would to play that. Play that that, that yeah. sounds like it would be really cool. So I was like, all right, I'll see, I'll see what it takes to design this in like a more serious way that's not like a three-page document that really only I would ever see. Right. Uh, so I've been working on it and bouncing off ideas off Cat and like, you know, we've seriously been like okay well what what artists would we want to do this and like we sort of nailed down a core mechanic and it's like a thing that like oh it might come out and you know it is a role-playing game where you like in order to do things instead of rolling dice like you take off your clothes and kiss each other (laughs) and like it's a really weird game (laughs) and it's like still a thing that like i don't think anybody would ever play it but like man uh, it's it's such and like a, if di- if people did play it, like, do you guys want that on your conscience? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I I don't feel bad about that There's at all. Wrong you know with what? It. Sure, there sure, are people sure. doing weirder things if, as we speak. True uh, that. True that. If uh, there are consenting adults who want to play a game like this. Have at it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I will, at some point in the design process, going to have to play test it anyway. So I'll we'll have to figure out how to, how to make that work. But That's a very good point. Uh, but, like, I really want to complete this uh, because it's, like, a game that I, I want to exist because, like, there are people out there who said they would play it, which is, like, you know what? If, there, if that's a market for RPGs, if that doesn't exist yet like i want it to exist so that player base like has something That's to enjoy so funny. and i also want other designers to read it and go like oh if this can happen then i can use i can use this like i the the first game that the gadkinspiel that i designed uh was uh called will they won't they and i haven't released this one uh and it's essentially the premise is you are playing out three scenes that lead to a first kiss between two people cool. and the players actually kiss at the end of it. Like if those characters kiss you as the players have to kiss the person that you're playing with. And part of the rules of the game is you shouldn't be playing with somebody that you, you've kissed Would before. Oh. Um, so because it's designed to be the first one, the real mechanic of the game is the tension that you are feeling as a player knowing Oh my God, just by agreeing to play this, I have said that I want to kiss this person. Right. And everything that we're doing right now is going to lead is, up to us kissing. Oh my God. And so, like, all of the intention, intensity, and the significance of the moves is driven forward by that anxiety that you have That's as so a player. That's so funny. Um, and, and so, like, I, I kind of want 
people to realize that when they're designing games, like you can use very visceral physical elements like that. Like everything, the entire world is at your disposal. There's nobody saying that you can't do something. And like the only thing that should separate you from doing something and not doing something is like whether or not you want to do it. I want to design these weird games as thought experiments, uh -huh. whether people play them or not. <laughs> um, and like, if people play them or, Hey, if I play test this game and have a good time while I'm doing it, then like, Hey, all, all the better. But I, I really want to create a sense in this design culture, uh, both through games that I design myself and games that I show off on one shot that anything's possible. Uh, the, it, the only thing that limits us is our imagination. That's that's really really awesome. Uh, to speak to um, the idea that you guys are working on designing an RPG that will like introduce kids to it, mm -hmm. it's really wonderful uh, to hear that that's you know still on deck for you, especially with uh, the uh, NPC that you guys already put out. Um, it seems like there's a passion there for like introducing new players to the concepts and whether they're kids or, you know, uh, more, uh, experienced players, um, or just like older people. Um, I love that you guys really seem to have a passion for that, for opening it up to even more. That is one of the major things that we wanted to do with, with our game design is like, we want games that we produce to, help like like change the landscape for games we want to expand the notion of what people think a game is and uh you know what people think of themselves as players like there are a lot of people who just you know think i'm not a person who's ever going to play a role-playing game right and if you play noisy person cards like it takes pressure points off but still asks you to do certain things that D, D asks you to do right so when you finish playing noisy person cards some of the stuff that might be psyching you out about D and D is is something that you've already done. You, right. you did it. You did it, and you walked away with like points. You got points for doing it. So like you know that you're good at it. Um, and so we we tried to gamify the process of learning games and like getting to the point where you love games as much as we do. Um, that's awesome. I think that's imperative. I think that goes back to a lot of people not realizing kind of how much overlap there is between uh, improv and RPGs. I think a noisy person cards is kind of like the beautiful like marriage <laughs> of that in my mind anyway. Uh, well, thank and, you. And I, I really think like from from the moment that uh, you, uh, you know, let us know what that was all about. I was like, man, what? Just like what a great idea, kind of bringing something to people who might want to get more into this gaming culture, but maybe intimidated by the kinds of things that you have to do as, uh, you know, or not even necessarily have to do, but things that enhance your playing experience, I yeah. guess, is the best way to talk about it. Um, that may, you may have like uh, inhibitions about, but like you said, by a uh, gamifying it you've, <laughs> you've made it a more fun process and uh i'm sure those kinds of things help players uh get more into the process when they're uh getting into the rpgs themselves um so kudos uh, <laughs> well that's the hope and the dream at least and I'm excited that you guys are, are still kind of uh, going down that same like hopeful, dreamy path path uh, to um, teaching this kind of stuff to kids. I remember when uh, Bennett Botero uh, did the podcast um, 
he told this story about how he was helping out at a school of some kind and he saw some kids uh, around a chessboard mm-hmm. and realized that they were not playing chess and instead playing like some kind of D and D like game. Oh, cool! And so he like walked up to them and was and they like got really nervous and yeah. were like, "Uh, sorry, sorry, uh, if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing." And he's like, "No, no, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing." And he like a- tried to kind of like help them along mm-hmm. a little. And one of the kids told him like, "Oh my gosh, this is the best. My dad plays D and D, but he won't teach me." how to play what yeah what and he like got so indignant like that's why he told the story on the show is because he was like if you are listening to this and you're the kind of person who will not teach either your child or like someone else around you about the thing that you're doing like what is wrong with you yeah why and his uh you know his like benefit of the doubt argument was like maybe it's his dad's thing and like he doesn't want to have to make it but like (sighs) i guess uh, like i guess but like you would think that if your kid is at school making up their own version of D&D and you play D&D with people, then you should absolutely be trying to help this kid along. Man, man, yeah. that's baffling. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I, they're really, especially in a very niche space like role-playing games, like there needs to be the active mentality that like we want more people to play these games. Um, and I know that there is a contingent of fans who are like, no, I don't, I don't want to lose the the precious space that I have. Right. Um, and that's kind of like a nerd culture in general. Yeah, thing. it is a nerd culture in general thing. But like, as a game designer, I can tell you, as like a podcaster, I can tell you, the more people who play games, the better it is for games. And you are not going to lose your precious spaces. Like they, they will still exist. This is a lesson for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lesson for just everyone. Yeah, like like let let people in, man. The more people like the publishers of those books don't care who's buying those books. They don't care if it's I mean, they would probably prefer it to be somebody who buys it and is a dedicated fan it's forever. A lot, yeah. But if they buy it, play it once and it sits on their shelf, buy it and it just collects dust, they never play it at all. Whatever, that publisher is still selling the book and that will help them publish their next book. Absolutely. Is there anything that uh, you would feel remiss to not cover in this conversation? Um, so there are a couple things that I, I would like to talk about. One is Metatopia. Um, cool. Which is my favorite gaming convention in the whole world. It, oh, yeah. We've talked about this a little before. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful convention in Morristown, New Jersey that is all about game design. Um, you, as a basic member of the public, can sign up for just $20. Wow. Uh, we'll get you a badge into the convention. And your job is to play test games that designers have made. And some of these people are, you know, famous RPG designers. More, Jason Morningstar, who, who designed Fiasco, brings game concepts uh, to that convention to, to play test. And uh, if you are a game designer yourself, for $100, you can sign up. And the convention organizers will find people to play test your game for. Wow. So it like, if you're thinking about dipping your toe into this space and like you live in that area or, you know, you're super wealthy and you can travel (laughs) across the country like whenever. Right. Check out Metatopia because it is amazing. It's in November, right? It's in November. Um, 
And, you know, as, as a new game designer, you can go there and you can uh, hear from people who just play and they'll give you feedback. But one of the things that the, the organizers also do is they organize one game for you that is just with other game designers. That's very cool. And you can have somebody like Jason Morningstar play your game and from his wealth of experience, he can be like, this is what I loved and this is what I want you to focus on. Wow. Or, you know, this this isn't working here, but like I did this thing in my game. Maybe you could try it and see if it works for you. How invaluable. It's unbelievable. It's like such a cool experience. And, and a relatively low barrier of entry, especially considering what cons can typically cost. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's the sort of thing where I met so many people at Metatopia who showed up as playtesters and the next year they brought oh, a design. That's wonderful. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's uh, so cool. It's such a, it's such a good community. Um, and gosh, if I'm going to mention other role playing like like thinking about indie design oh yeah uh there's a kickstarter project uh that i think as we're talking is happening um called the white box uh and i think this is more oriented towards board games but it is a book that is like a a series of essays on game design cool sort of like walk you through how to do it and it comes with a box full of game pieces it gives you like a generic oh, game board cool. it gives you a bunch of meeples it gives you a bunch of like wooden discs it gives you dice it gives you all sorts of things so it is like a game a design kit, kit to like welcome you in it's like oh. you know these are essays by people who've made games and like this this might sort of teach you a little bit about the process and the methodology that we're thinking of when we make games and here are all the pieces that you need so you don't have to like do a lot of stuff just yourself. Like it's all there. You don't have to tear apart your other games. Yeah, I mean, even if you go to a game store, a lot of that stuff piecemeal can add up really quickly. Exactly. And so this is just like, it's all here, it's all together. And like, if you are interested in this at all, like if you care about this process at all, that's very cool. You might be into this. Yeah, absolutely. That's a a really great suggestion. And And I'll definitely link uh, both of those things in the notes. And the final thing that I'll say is like, guys go out and like look for small independent games. Like it's not hard to stumble across uh, a really cool game uh, that I want to like mention is a game called honey heist, um, Mm -hmm. which is where you play as bears who are trying to steal honey from That's Honeycon. That's what I it was. Yeah. <laughs> from Honeycon. Yeah, you have two stats in that game. They are bear and criminal. Uh. And those, and that's it. Uh, the same designer put out another micro game recently called Big Gay Orcs, which is just, you are two orcs in like an evil lord's army, but also you're trying to confess your love to the other orc. Um, and like, these are one page games that a designer named Grant Howitt has made. And like, he just puts them on the internet for free and like, you can go get them. You can play them tonight. You learn the rules just like so easily because it's one page and then you're ready to go. So like give it a shot and then make your own. That's Um, really wonderful. The last thing uh, that I'll ask, I'll typically ask a guest how they feel like their love of the topic influences them creatively. 
and then kind of their life in general. Obviously, this is a creative endeavor for you, <laughs> but I'm sure you can respond to that uh, in some way. You know, like you said, you're definitely a comedian um, at heart and still a performer on a lot of different levels and not just a game maker. So uh, however you'd like to uh, kind of address that large question, have at it. I mean, games for me are my preferred storytelling method. Mm-hmm. Like, they are... Uh, the way of entertaining people that I have become most comfortable with. Sure. Like doing 200, almost 200, very soon to be 200 episodes of One Shot. Congratulations. Uh, I have played so much and like if I'm going to entertain a crowd, like if you put me in a situation where I can run a game for that crowd, like I... That's am, what you'd like to be doing yeah, to I am in my element. So like games are the way that I express myself and I'm very thankful that there are venues for you to do that through podcasting and game design for me is a way to create new life experiences for myself um you know and explore stories that I've always wanted to tell it's really hard to like write a novel or or create a comic or you know do something there's a lot of specialized skills that you have to have like i'm a dyslexic person so like the idea of writing out a story intimidates me um and i can't draw um but like i still want to express myself some way and games are a way for me to do that and sometimes i have to create my own game in order to tell the stories that i want to tell uh so pretty much every creative thing that I do is somehow driven or influenced by this. Um, and like, there are a lot of different creative areas that, that I like to take place in, but like it all sort of comes back here. Um, and that's, this is a beautiful thing that I, I love so much. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Mary Beth, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Uh, yeah, I truly have enjoyed this so much. I'm like jazzed to myself look at a yeah, lot of these smaller games. Go do it. I want I want you to play them. Yeah, and I, I'm just so I'm so excited for you, man, that I feel like this is just the beginning of all the things that you've made and been so passionate about. And uh, I'm just really stoked to see uh, where you and Kat end up um well, so Landing. long as we're not destroyed in a nuclear war, <laughs> I think we'll be just fine. Uh, we should all go play a big game of Tower of Progress. <laughs> <laughs> James, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. I love you, and I mean that, man. Absolutely. Back at you. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today and go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.